0: find Acts chapter 28 in your Bibles. We're in the last chapter. Uh, It's been a long journey uh, for us. Is there anybody that needs a map? Anybody that needs a map? You didn't get one or you lost yours. Uh, If you want to pull that out, we're going to refer to in just a moment. Paul is on his final missionary journey. It is unlike the first three that he took. On those, he went willingly He was a free man going around starting churches all over the Mediterranean world. And uh, this time, he is a prisoner. Uh, He left Capernaum on on board of a ship. And uh, uh, we we trace sort of his his journey a little bit. Uh, He landed on the island, uh, if you will, the the island of Crete uh, at a place called Fair Havens. By this time, the sailing season should have been over. Winter was about to hit, um, and the winds coming out of the north made the Mediterranean Sea a very dangerous place. In those days, most shipping completely shut down on the Mediterranean Sea during those months. Um, the, The Fairhavens was not a good place to winter in. When I did a little research on it, it did not have a very deep harbor. So this ship was gonna have to... Uh, be, be uh, anchored uh, offshore. Uh, they would have to, to ferry uh, passengers, sailors, whatever, back and forth on a little boat into land. Uh, the ship would be more prone to the effects of storms at sea like that. So they wanted to go to a place called Phoenicia in the Bible. Uh, it's that little place called Phoenix there. It is a 40 mile distance by water. Okay, uh, sailing in those days, that would have been about a day or in a day day and a half's worth of sailing. If you remember, uh, Paul warned them and said, this is not a good idea. We're starting too late. Uh, chapter 27, he said, sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Uh, it may be that Paul had a message from the Lord and he was delivering that, or maybe just Paul's experience, having not been a sailor, but having sailed an awful lot on his travels, uh, he understood the weather, the conditions, and so forth. Uh, the centurion who was responsible for Paul, though, believed the captain of the ship instead of the preacher, and they started out. Things seemed well after all. It's only a day's journey. What could go wrong? They had a soft wind, uh, a south wind that blew softly, and so forth. But they couldn't have been at sea for more than just a few hours, half a day at the most. And uh, they had a hurricane that blew in. Verse 14 of chapter 27, not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurachlodon. When the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And so suddenly this voyage has turned desperate and dangerous and for over two weeks, They were out on the Mediterranean Sea. They had no idea where they were. The sun and the stars did not appear for many days. And when you're out in the open waters like that, in those days, they they navigated by the stars. That's how they knew where they were and where they were headed. That was all gone. They took the sails down because the, uh, the wind, uh, was so contrary to them. They, th- they started throwing things out. It was a ship coming from Alexandria, Egypt. It was loaded with wheat headed for Rome. Um, at some point they eventually threw all of the wheat overboard, just hoping to keep this ship aboard, um, And uh, many days passed, they didn't eat. We studied where Paul had a message from the Lord and he stood up and and told them what the message was. He said in verse 25, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me, howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. We don't know if the Lord told Paul where they were gonna uh, make landfall uh, or whatever or just that there would be an island and so forth. The days went by and uh, they, they found out they were nearing land. Again, they have no idea where they are. Uh, you see the, the, uh, the blue line on there. Um, they were supposed to go from Fairhavens to Phoenix on the island of Crete, a 40-mile journey. Notice that they ended up on a little island. In the Bible, it's called Melita. The name of that island today is the island of Malta. Um, that's a little more than 40 miles. Um, anybody would take a guess how far away it was? 300? Anybody else? 400? 400 going once. Got 600? 1,617 miles. They're supposed to take a 40... This is like Gilligan's Island on steroids. You know, a three hour cruise. They were supposed to go forty miles. They ended up because of that storm being driven one thousand six hundred and seventeen miles. Um, that That would have been an incredible uh, awareness. And of course, the ship was uh, shipwrecked uh, on the island of Malta. Um, all the passengers got off, Paul said in verse thirty seven of chapter twenty seven, and we were in all in the ship two hundred, three score and 16 souls, 276 people. Um, The ship was lost. Um, Everything that they had on board was lost at sea. Uh, Chapter 27 ends with uh, those that could swim did so, the rest, uh, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Things aren't going according to plan, but, of course, uh, that's man's plans. God always has a plan that's much better than ours. We want to look at chapter 28. The, the book of Acts is about to wind down a little bit. And uh, let's read a few verses, and then we want to make some observations. Verse 1, when they were escaped, then they knew that the island was called Melita. The barbarous people showed us no little kindness For they kindled a fire and received us every one because of the present rain and because of the cold. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the barbarians saw the venomous beast hang on his hand, they said among themselves, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever uh, and of a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed, and laid his hands on him and healed him. When this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary." And we'll stop there at verse 10. Tonight, we just want to deal with Paul's sojourn on this island of Melita or of of Malta. Um, The the journey took them in a place they did not expect to go. Uh, But Paul, uh, in the middle of that storm, God had said, you're going to land on a certain island. We don't know again if God told him which island or how far they had to go to get there. But Paul already knew that that they're going to land on this island, Uh, so there was no surprise there. But please understand, their journey did not go the way they expected. They thought 40 miles will be there, south wind is blowing, this is a good day, and then everything changed on them. How many have noticed in your journey of life, it hasn't always gone the way you thought it would? Anybody like that? Even when we think we know what we're supposed to do, sometimes it doesn't turn out the way we want. Sometimes it takes a lot longer to get where we wanted to go and so forth. But you understand this, when you're following the leadership of the Lord, God is never a day late or a dollar short. God's will, the Bible says, as for God, his way is perfect. You understand that Joseph was 17 years old in Genesis 37 when he had his visions about his brothers bowing before him, the second vision, his brother and his parents bowing before him, he was 17 years old. He was 39 years old when that actually came to pass. And he wasn't in Canaan anymore. He was in Egypt. Between 17 and 39, he had no idea that his journey was going to take him into into slavery, into Potiphar's house, into prison, into Pharaoh's palace, and then everything was coming to pass. But none of that was an accident or a mistake with God. God knew exactly where he needed Joseph and how to get him there. David was anointed to be the king of Israel when he was a youth. So insignificant... That when Jesse was told to bring his sons to a feast with Samuel the prophet, he didn't even bring David the youngest. Left him out there taking care of the sheep. Does anybody know how old David was when he became king? Second Samuel chapter five verse four said he was thirty. So he's anointed as a young person, maybe a teenager. We're not sure. Just the Bible says a youth. He's anointed king at 30, but that was only over the tribe of Judah. He was 37 when he became king over all the nation of Israel. And during that time, David had to flee in the wilderness from King Saul. A lot of things transpired in his life. But again, none of that was a mistake with the Lord. Uh, If you're reading through the, the Bible, not long ago, we read in the book of Exodus that when God brought Israel out of Egypt... He didn't take them up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea into Canaan land. That would have been a three-day journey. The Bible said that was the nearest way, but the Philistines occupied that land. And the Bible says God didn't lead them that way. He went way out of the way. He said, lest their hearts get discouraged when they saw war. They weren't ready for it yet. So... Paul and, and his companions and all of these 276 people have, have found a refuge from the storm on this island called Melita. Look at the reception that these stranded people receive, verse 2. And the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. In verse 4, they're also referred to as barbarians. Kind of a harsh term, a barbarian. There's no evidence that there was a Jewish synagogue on the island of Melita. If there was, I think we would have found that in the scripture because that was always Paul's first place of contact. Um, These people are labeled barbarians. It's not trying to be an insult to them. It's nothing like that. Um But, in the Jewish mind, if you were a Gentile uh, and you weren't of the proper faith, you were considered a barbarian. And even possibly with the Roman Empire, this this particular island might have been considered a backwater kind of place, okay? But in spite of that, these weren't like headhunters. Or, or anything like you might in, encounter in other places. Uh, would, would you notice here what the Bible says? Um, they showed us no little kindness. That's a rather odd way of saying they showed us tremendous kindness. Now, understand this is a small island. Uh, this is an island that is shut off from the mainland. Uh, it, you know, uh, Italy's to the, uh, the north, just a little bit of them. But there's no ships going in or out. That, that time has passed. And there's been this hurricane that brought this ship there. And the island of Melita uh, seems to have been on the fringes of that. And they've got some of that weather. These people have already hunkered down for the winter. They've got their stores in place for a long winter. Uh, they're not expecting any ships to come in and disembark passengers that they're going to have to lodge and feed nor are there any supply ships coming in to resupply them. So whatever they've got in the pantry, whatever they've stored up for winter, that's what they will survive on until the spring comes and the shipping lanes open up. And all of a sudden, here's a shipwreck and there are 276 stranded people there. Um, that's That's a big financial burden on them. Uh, I, you're probably following the news as well as I am. Um, many of these uh, cities in our country uh, that uh, when when uh, the former president was in uh, and he was trying to close down the southern border, uh, they were declaring their superior righteousness, calling themselves sanctuary cities. How many heard that? And they were happy to do that because they were a long, long way from the southern border of our country. And uh, then Governor Abbott got the idea saying, well, let's send these it, it's it's now several million. I forget the number of people that have illegally crossed our borders. The, the towns in Texas have been dying under the financial strain, the crime problems and all of that. So Governor Abbott said, you know, there are all these sanctuary cities up north that, that declared that they'll take care of them. And so they started busing them in and all that. How well has that gone over? Not well at all. And here's the thing. In New York City alone, um, it, it's costing millions and millions of dollars a month. Uh, they've got to provide lodging for these people. They've got to provide food. They're providing health care. <laughs> they're handing them cell phones. Uh, they're, they're, they, they're trying to do education. And they're, they're sinking. They're swamped. And all of a sudden, they're pleading on the, the, the current administration. you got to stop the flow and all that kind of stuff. Because they found out that uh, the idea of sanctuary city sounds nice and noble, but it's a, it's a big job. So you got a little island here. And uh, they have no other way to get resources in. And 276 people are shipwrecked on their island. They, they could have just, you know, pointed them to a boat and said, take off and God be with you. The Bible says they showed us no little kindness. They kindled a fire. Do you understand? Dry wood would have been at a premium. There's a storm going on. They they can't like go out into the woods somewhere and get wood. All of that wood is wet. So they're taking the wood that they've stocked up for winter, not just now their food and all of that. They're kindling a fire. The Bible says, and received us every one. The Roman soldiers... Uh, they would have had no choice but to receive them. That would have been the law. Uh, but they're receiving the sailors. We don't know what the other passengers were on there for, but we know that there was at least one prisoner. It sounds like the, the, the previous chapter used the word prisoners, plural. So they've got, they've got a, a wide variety of people. Um, they, they made no distinction between Roman soldier, sailors, convicts. They received us, everyone. They had that spirit of charity that that doesn't judge a person by where they're from or even necessarily what they've done. They just saw a need and they reached out and did it. By the way, these are barbarians. These aren't what, in in their day and age, these weren't the civilized people. These were the people that others looked down on um, and, and there was just something about them. Uh, we could learn a lot from that, couldn't we? Sometimes those who know the Lord claim that, uh, you know, that uh, they they understand the love of Christ are are very hard pressed when somebody comes along with a need, comes along with a burden. Um, And we're we're like, we're kind of like the people with that man in the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, He was robbed, beat up, left for dead. And here comes a Jewish priest and sees him and crosses the road and passes by on the other side of the road. Here comes a Levite, scholar of the word of God, and he sees him laying there. He too crosses to the other side and passes. And it was a Samaritan, someone that Jewish people would, would not even give the time of day to that saw the man and went to him, uh, took of his own goods and and bound up his wounds, put him on his own animal, took him to an inn, paid for his keep and said, uh, if he has to stay here longer, put it on my bill. And when I come back through, I'll pay for everything. And the savior used that particular parable to teach the the fact that the neighbor is whoever has a need. So Paul and his his comrades are here. Uh, By the way, they're gonna be there for three months. Three months, verse 11, and after three months we departed in a ship of Alexandria. So it's not like they're giving them lunch and sending them on their way. They gotta, they gotta, we gotta find a place for these people to live. Um, they came with nothing. They have no luggage. They have the clothes on their back. They have no possessions. By the way, they can't even pay. All of their wealth went overboard unless they may have carried a money pouch or something with them. But that's hardly going to take care of all of these people and their needs. But the people on this island took care of them. So the reception of these stranded people on the island uh, was amazing. And then we read about that remarkable encounter with a snake. I'm using R's and S's in an outline tonight. When the barbarian, I'm sorry, Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks. Notice he wasn't too good to help out. And laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. He must have just gathered up some wood somewhere, uh, we're not sure where, and and, uh, didn't realize there was some kind of a pit viper in there. And when he threw it on the fire, the pit viper didn't like that and came out and just latched onto him. Um, And latched on and didn't let go, which is a dangerous thing. That means that snake is pumping venom into him the longer he's on there. And Paul shakes him off into the fire. And, uh, of course, these people, they're very superstitious. They just automatically assume, verse 4, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he hath escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. So they're just figuring the gods are really after him and he thought he got away. Why they came up with the crime of murder don't know. Um, it's doubtful Paul was in chains. It would have been hard to swim out of the ocean if he had chains on. Probably those chains were were taken off while he was on board the ship because there was nowhere for him to go. But they've they've just assumed the worst. We never do that, do we? We never assume the worst about other people. Uh, they just assumed the worst, and uh, uh, so he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Um, and uh, howbeit they looked when he should have swollen. They're just standing there staring at him. Let's watch him die. Uh, like it's something fascinating, you know, about howbeit they looked when he should have swollen or fallen down uh, dead suddenly. But after they had looked a great while, I don't see uh, anybody going over there saying, hey, can we get you a snake bite kit? You know, uh, an antivenom probably wasn't invented yet. Um, and, uh, they probably seen these vipers and they knew what was going to happen to this guy. He was doomed. They saw no harm come to them, They changed their minds and said that he was a God from one extreme. He's a murderer. Now he's a God people without the Lord, people without a Bible foundation for their lives. They, they have no foundation. Um, uh, they don't know what to believe and they're just carried about with all types of things, uh, and so forth. Uh, Turn in your Bibles, keep your place here. Turn to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. Mark records a conversation that the Savior had with the disciples that none of the other gospel writers uh, tell us about. In verse 15, Mark 16, He, Jesus, said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. A lot of people want to ignore these, but the Savior said that uh, there would be sign gifts that were given. If you remember early on in our study of the book of acts we went to hebrews where the bible tells us these sign gifts were given to confirm the words of the apostles the new testament had not been written yet now if we want to study out a doctrine uh whether it's the doctrine of the resurrection or whatever we can open the new testament and study it through and we have the word of god when the apostles are going out especially like an island like melita um There appears that there was no synagogue there. They may never have come in contact with the Old Testament scriptures. There's no doubt in my mind that Paul is going to tell these people about the gospel. He's going to share Christ. That's what he did everywhere. Nothing stopped the man uh, from doing that. But that is going to be almost like fanciful news to these people. They've never heard about a Messiah being promised. They don't understand any of that. Somewhat like a missionary, we, can, we support Brother Aaron McCullough, and they're going back in the jungles of, of Peru into the Amazon jungles, the jungles in Africa. They're going back to these villages and places, um, taking the gospel, and sometimes they're the first ones to do so. You've got to start somewhere. Well, God gave the sign gifts to say, I'm not making this up this is not a fable, Uh, this is the truth, and this sign is is an act of God to confirm to you that what I'm sharing is truth. How many understand that? Okay, so the the Savior said that those signs were gonna be given in Acts chapter uh, two on the day of Pentecost, Uh, They're speaking in tongues, not babbling, not frothing, not falling around on the floor. The Bible says that every man heard them speak in their own tongue wherein they were born. They were speaking a known language that the hearers understood, but it was a language they didn't know by nature. The Holy Spirit gave them that ability. It was a sign gift, and that's what Peter told them. He quoted the book of Joel and so forth, and we've, we've studied all of that. In Acts chapter 28, you understand the gospels now come to the island of Melita, the, bar, the barbarians, the uncivilized people, this, this viper bites the apostle Paul. He does not die. It's actually a fulfillment of what the savior said would happen in Mark chapter 16. Now uh, we don't believe that. The, now I, I, let me back up and, and, and say this. I believe today God can heal. God can do anything he wants. He can do anything he wants. But the sign gifts we know from Hebrews was given to confirm the word of the apostles um, until the scriptures were given. We've got the scriptures now. So that as you read through the book of Acts, this is the last time any type of a sign gift is demonstrated such as that. Um, there are those today that take Mark 16. Uh, especially, I don't know why it is, especially about the snakes and the poison. And they, they take that. I mean, and that is their whole existence. I grew up in Southwest Pennsylvania, not far from the West Virginia border. Um, And in the mountains of West Virginia, there are churches. uh, They claim to be Bible-believing people. I don't know where they all stand on the gospel. Uh, But they are called snake handlers. How many have ever heard of them? How many have ever seen the videos coming out of those places? Um, and they have, they have containers with, uh, rattlesnakes and copperheads are the two big ones. They're, uh, the poisonous snakes generally that are found in that region. Um, uh, and I'm not sure why it's mountainous regions. Kentucky has also, uh, some that do that. And in the middle of their church services, man, these, these people are reaching in and grabbing these snakes and, you know, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. Uh, there have been, uh, uh, since probably in the last 15 years, there have been over 100 people that have died in the snake handling churches. I, I saw one particularly gruesome video uh, of a guy uh, and he was the pastor of the church. Uh, he had done this many times and he had a rattlesnake and it struck him right on the juggler vein. Uh, and, in, and we're talking, he stepped out of the building. The EMTs hadn't even been called yet and he just dropped dead, blood streaming down his neck and so forth. Um, please understand that's not what Paul was doing. Paul wasn't going out trying to find a snake to see if it could bite him. So he could say, see, look, I've got this. This was just one of those things that happened by nature. Uh, Keep your place here. Could you turn to Matthew 4? Matthew chapter 4 and by speaking of this, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. I feel sad when people take the scriptures out of context. Um, it does not end well. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, we read about the temptation of Christ. Notice, if you would please, verse 5, the second one. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. The temple was on the highest point in the city of Jerusalem. Temple Mount is still there. The temple rose very, very high above that and it had uh, pinnacles at each corner. So that was a great distance up in the air. So the devil takes him there and he said, if thou be the son of God, cast thyself down for it is written. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee and in their hands, they shall bear thee up Lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Do you know that the devil can quote the Bible? And he quoted the Bible. Question, did he quote it correctly? Yes or no? Actually, he did. He did. He just didn't quote it completely. He left something I'll keep keep your place in Matthew 4, Psalm 91. I'm not trying to confuse you uh, there. That wasn't really a trick question. Psalm 91, in verse number 9 says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. This is the portion of scripture Satan is quoting. Uh, But what he left out was that part in verse number nine, making the Lord your refuge and habitation. That this isn't a promise that you get to go out and live reckless and God won't let anything bad happen to you. This is a promise that if you're walking with God and you're walking close to God, God will take care of you. He left that out. And so he's got Jesus up all the way on the pinnacle of the temple. He uh, quotes Psalm 91, leaving the key part of it out uh, and so forth. And of course, Jesus is smarter than that. Jesus said unto him, Matthew 4, 7, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Um, that word tempt means to dare God. I dare you God. I'm going to do this and I'm, I'm going to dare you, uh, to prove the Lord Well, you said this. So if I jump off here, you're going to take care of me. Uh, That's, that's tempting the Lord. That's putting the Lord in a place, uh, where, where we're doing something foolish and expecting God to make everything all better for us. Um, so that's not what's happening back here in Acts chapter 28. Uh, it's a man following the Lord and the Lord works a miracle because Paul is about to introduce the gospel to these people. He's going to be there for three months. You know that he did so in the same quarters, verse seven, uh, uh, please notice here, uh, were possessions of the chief man of the Island. We don't know if his title was chief man. Uh, governor, we don't know what what titles they use. His name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days courteously. Now we don't know if this is all two hundred and seventy six uh, of the, of the uh, people that are stranded there. It might have been Paul and his team only. Why? Why might it have only been Paul and his comrades? What's that? Maybe the Centurion because Paul had favor with him, why else? the most likely explanation the snake thing they're worshiping, worshiping him as a God, and uh, the chief of the island is going to want to entertain the God. I mean you want to keep God happy with you and and that's yeah, understand they don't know any better, okay and, and that would have probably been their mind It came to pass that the father Publius lay sick of a fever and a bloody pl- flux. To whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had diseases in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And we when we departed, they laided us with such things as were necessary. Paul's been on this island for a day, bitten by a snake, and they're already revering him falsely so as a God. And we know Paul, they tried that in Lystra and he would not allow them to do that. So there's no doubt in any of our minds that Paul rejected their claim. He's brought there, you understand the man's, the man's been a prisoner for years now, starting in Capernaum, two years in prison, been falsely accused. He's been on this voyage and he's been, he's been lost at sea for two to three weeks in the middle of a hurricane. Um, The ship has been battered to pieces and they survived barely with their life. So he's been shipwrecked. Now he's brought onto this island and there's no way off. Um, They understand they are stranded here until springtime when the shipping lanes will reopen and so forth. Do you ever wonder if it may have crossed through Paul's mind, enough is enough? You know, I've had enough of this. Here I am serving God, and for years now, there's been very little positive in my life. We know that on the early part of the journey, they stopped uh, at, at, I believe it was Sidon. Paul was allowed to go uh, on shore and refresh himself with the brethren that were there, but then they had to get back on the ship. There were little tiny moments, but for the most the last few years of his life have been, been, been. Uh, I, I won't say a mess because he's not fallen into any sin, but it's been, it's been hard. It's been hard. But notice this: the minute Paul sees a need, he's out there meet, meeting the need. Um, he's he's penniless. He has he has no idea how long they're stranded there. He has no idea what comes next. But he heals this man, and all of a sudden there's a line. Uh, standing outside, everybody on that island that had any kind of a disease, there they are, and, and they're there to be healed. And Paul's once again giving of himself. He never stops. He was an incredible child of God. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll wrap things up a little bit here tonight. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul's the man that told Timothy. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He didn't just tell Timothy to do that. He lived it. He was the example of that. Notice what he says in verse eight. And we've read these verses. They're familiar to us. We are troubled on every side. How many have some troubles right now? How many could say I have trouble on every side? There's nothing in my life but trouble. Okay, I don't see any hands going up on that. Paul said we are troubled on every side. Side, yet not distressed we're perplexed we're not sure what the answers are we're not sure how this is going to work but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed always bearing about in the body the dying of the lord jesus that the life also of jesus might be made manifest in our body For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Paul's writing at a time when it costs something to be a Christian. We've lost that in our Western culture, uh, but in many parts of the world today, it costs to be a Christian. In, In most Muslim nations, if a Muslim person converts to Christianity, the laws are in place, that person can be stoned to death just for the act of getting saved. We don't have to deal with that. We might make some family members upset with us uh, because you know, you know we were born and raised in one particular religion and now we've gotten saved and we're gonna follow the Lord, believer's baptism, go to a different church. And that's hard. Some of you have dealt with that, but it's nothing like being stoned to death Uh, Paul just says, that's our life, but we're not stressed out about it. We're not perplexed. We're, we're not in despair about anything. Notice, uh, verse number 16, for which cause talking about the the sake of the God's people and the example they said, for which cause we faint not, we don't give up. We don't quit. We don't turn back. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. How did Paul do it? He kept a very close, fresh walk with God every day. He said, The inward man is renewed every day. It was Paul that had the message from the Lord on, on, on the ship that stood up. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. How could Paul endure all that? And immediately all these people are coming saying, help us, help us, minister to us, take care of us. And this man has to be tired. He has to be exhausted. They've not eaten much uh, for weeks and, and all of that. He has to humanly be struggling with frustration, but he's not doing any of that. He's just, bring him in, bring him in. Let me help, let me help. That was, that was the way Paul lived his life. And God recorded this episode on the island of Melita, not as just a history lesson for us, but as a spiritual lesson for all of us. Don't give up because the going got tough, you stay close to God. Let the inner man be renewed on a daily basis. It's the only way that you can endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. How many many know who John Harper was? The name John Harper, does that ring a bell? Nobody? Okay. How about this? Does the name the Titanic ring a bell? How many know about that? John Harper was a Scottish Baptist pastor who was a passenger aboard the Titanic when it sank in April of 1912. When the lifeboats, the last of the lifeboats, pushed away from the Titanic as she was beginning her descent downward... There were hundreds and hundreds of people left stranded on that ship. Many of the lifeboats went uh, not even half full. It it was just, it was mayhem. Uh, The the plan was women and children first. There were a few men that somehow slipped aboard and so forth. Uh, But hundreds of people were going to perish before that night was over. It was in the the waters off of Nova Scotia. Uh, It was wintertime, icebergs and all of that. Uh, it is said that the human, a human being in that water would only last uh, a couple of minutes or so, and then hypothermia would set in, and they would, they would just drown. They would die. There was no way to survive that. John Harper said goodbye to his wife, put her on board one of those lifeboats, and he stayed behind on the deck knowing that he was about to spend his last night on earth. The reports are from those who did survive, some that were on the Titanic survived and were picked up by the Carpathia the next day, uh, floating on pieces of furniture and so forth. There were a few that did so. John Harper spent his last few hours alive preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus. He wasn't bemoaning his fate um, he wasn't crying and, and, and uh, bewailing anything. He was going from person to person sharing the gospel. And as the ship began to go down, most of the people that were on deck that could get there, some people were trapped below decks and just drowned there. They were flung into the sea, John Harper being one of them. And the survivors of that remember hearing his voice calling out, telling people that they needed to be saved, sharing the gospel. There was a man that was on board that ship and he was in the water that night. His name was George Henry Cavill. And he thought he was going to die that night when he heard a voice not far from him crying out, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. John Henry Cavill claims that he was the last convert of John Harper. Because after he heard that statement, John Harper's voice died out, hypothermia set in, and he perished. His body was never recovered. Somehow, George Henry Cavill survived the night, was picked up by the Carpathia uh, the next day, and he related that, that, his testimony and story to the New York Times when they got back um, to, to stateside. He said, I'm the last convert of John Harper. What would we have done in our final moment like that? Would we have been so self-centered about our plight? Would we realize I've got one more chance to be a witness? These people, this is their last chance to get a witness. John Harper had the heart and the spirit of the apostle Paul. When I read this account of Paul, when I read the testimony of that, that Scottish Baptist preacher, John Harper, I'm convicted about my own testimony, my own dedication to the cause of Christ, the the necessity to endure hardness as a good soldier, the need to have my inner man renewed day by day because there's always gonna be somebody out there that needs Jesus, that needs love, that needs encouraged, that needs prayed for. And we all have our own list of problems and needs and burdens. Paul had a ton of them, but he managed to set all those aside and said, God sent me to this island at this time for these people. I wonder when we get to heaven if we're going to see people that were on the island that night, those barbarians that came in contact with a shipwrecked preacher who said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, and they did. I believe they're going to be there. I really do. We need to stop there. Father, thank you for the remarkable life.